Hello, and welcome to Focus, the Catholic Answers podcast for living, understanding, and defending your Catholic faith. I'm Cy Kellett, your host, and one of the great defenders of the Catholic faith in recent decades has been Australian Cardinal George Pell, who died quite unexpectedly earlier this month. You're likely familiar with Cardinal Pell as the sharp-tongued warrior for cultural and religious sanity who was called to Rome to reform the mess of church finances. But if you're not familiar with that part of his story, you probably almost certainly are familiar with him as the Australian cardinal accused of sexual abuse who served more than a year in solitary confinement before being acquitted by Australia's highest court. He fought and he suffered for his faith. It seemed to almost every neutral observer that his trials and imprisonment were tremendous miscarriages of justice, but he never wavered. That's what we wanted to dedicate this episode to, his unwavering spirit and his, his really his, his strength of spirit in being a great defender of the faith. Uh, it's an apologetics podcast, but he was one of the great apologists of his times, and it just seemed to us that other defenders of the faith can learn from a great deal from imitating him. To help us remember the man, we called upon one of his many Australian protégés, our friend Monica Dumit, the Director of Public Affairs and Engagement for the Archdiocese of Sydney in Australia. Unfortunately, our cross-Pacific connection was a bit rough for the first few minutes of this interview, but you'll notice it clears up at about three minutes in, so thanks for your patience with that glitch, and here's our interview with Monica Dumit. Monica, thanks for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be on here and to talk about the Cardinal. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, but it must be a, a terror. You know, we were shocked. Everybody was shocked. This is not like Benedict's death. This is nothing that, that we were expecting. But for you there in Australia, the shock must be quite acute. Absolutely. Um, I think it, we're all still a little bit stunned uh, as we go through the process of dealing with media and, and planning the funeral. I don't think even yet there's been time for it to sink in uh, and can't really believe that it's gone. Yeah, that's the thing. It's got to sink in. And um, uh, you knew him how. Tell us a little bit about how your um, your relationship with Cardinal Pell. Sure. So, well, I was a young person growing up in Sydney while he was the Archbishop. Uh, he brought more youth day to Sydney. And so there were plenty of opportunities to hear him um, and to see him in that capacity just as, as one of the young faithful. And I remember in particular uh, a theology on tap, maybe 2006, 2007, where he got up to speak, and I don't really recall what the topic was, but I remember him saying that it was young people who needed to be the voice of the church in today's increasingly secular society. And he said, so... I'm talking to all of you, but I'm particularly speaking with you young women. Uh, if wow. you know your faith and if, and if you know what you're on about, then you need to get out there and, and be a voice for the church. But you need to know what you're speaking about. So if you've got your first and second university degree, I want you to go back and keep studying and make sure you go back and learn something about economics because Catholics always get criticised that we don't know anything about finances. Um, I think that's a card that's overplayed, but you learn economics as well. And so here I was, 20-something and, and sitting in the audience, uh, had two, two university degrees already, and I think maybe a week or two later went and, and enrolled in a diploma of financial services and, and got myself skilled up on the finance and then ended up enrolling in a master's bioethics. So really just that one encounter changed at least my course of study 
I was practising as a lawyer at the time and then many years later left that to come and work for the Archdiocese under Cardinal Pell, but he was there only a matter of weeks before he left to be prefect for the Secretary, Secretary of the Economy. So I have never actually met him. Um, but then it, uh, as time went on, the allegations against him started coming out. The Royal Commission into Child Sexual Abuse was happening in Australia. And so I just started writing, um, writing what I could see from a legal perspective, from a church perspective, uh, not aware that His Eminence had been reading my writings over in Rome. And so I went over to Rome in 2016 uh, to make a pilgrimage for the Year of Mercy uh, and encountered a priest friend there, uh, there who said, oh, the Cardinal had been speaking about you. The Cardinal doesn't know who I am. And he said, oh, yeah, no, he's been reading your material and he shows it to all of us and and uh, so arranged for a meeting between the two of us. And so it wasn't until 2016 wow. that I encountered uh, he He took me into his office in inside the Vatican and it was the most surreal experience, you know, being driven past uh, Swiss guards saluting you as, as you went up to meet, uh, meet with the Cardinal. And he was so gracious. We, we sat for more than an hour and just, and just spoke uh, on a whole range of topics. Um, and then every time he was back in Sydney, he would give me a call, we'd catch up. Uh, he was very, very encouraging of me personally, of, of me using whatever platform I could to be a voice for the church. Um, yeah, just incredibly gracious. Monica, one of the reasons I really wanted to talk with you about the Cardinal was I read your extraordinary piece. You write in the Catholic Weekly, of course, you're a columnist there, but you wrote a piece called An Ever-Pastoral Shepherd. And it was very interesting to me about the – you were, in a certain sense, with the Cardinal when the allegations came out. You want to tell us a little bit about that experience? Sure. So it was uh, 2016. It was in the middle of World Youth Day. Cardinal Pell was overseas in Rome, but all of the communication staff was over at World Youth Day. I was a relatively junior member of the communication staff, but the only one in the, in the Sydney office. And so when we found out the allegations would be aired, all of a sudden I became in charge of the communications on the Sydney side. Um, so they were being aired live on the, on a television program at 7.30 p.m. in the evening. And the only way the Cardinal was going to be able to hear the allegations firsthand, he didn't know what they were yet, was to have a phone um, sitting under the television. So just before the program started, his secretary called my phone and I put it on speaker and put it under the television and listened live along with the Cardinal to the allegations. And then the program finished and... I was looking at my phone just thinking, I don't want to pick it up. I know he's going to be on the other end. So so put the, put the phone up to my ear and said, look, your eminence, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't know what to say. And in his very practical self, he just said, oh, I, I, I could only hear bits of it. He said, okay, well, we've recorded it. I'll get a transcript to you right now. And he said, oh, look, I'm really sorry. I know it's already late over there. I know it's been a long day and you have hours of work ahead of you. So the eminence, I don't know what else to do except to work in this moment. So that's the only way I can show you my support. So let me get to work uh, and we'll get this done as soon as possible. I'd been on the phone back and forth to the communications director all night and it was probably about 2 o'clock in the morning. I was on my way home 
the statements had all gone out, everything had happened. And she called me and said, are you okay? I said, I'm, I'm fine. You know, everything's gone out. I'm just in a cab on the way home. And she said, yeah, but you personally, are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. We've spoken half a dozen times this evening. And she said, I know, but the Cardinal called me. He's very worried about you. He wanted me to check in to make sure that you were okay. Um, he knew you were alone in the office and said that you sounded terribly upset on the phone. Um, I'd only met the Cardinal that one time and this was probably the worst day of his life or, or up there at least. And here he was inquiring about my welfare and making sure that I was okay. Um, that was what he was like through all of this. I remember um, after speaking to him after his conviction and, and again, his concern was about other people. Uh, I was on a call when he was in prison one time and he ran through a list of people about whom he was asking their welfare. Uh, it didn't matter what he was going through. His heart was always with and for uh, other people. It was just a side to him that that the public rarely saw, that the media never reported, but he was such a good and kind man. When you say that the media never reported, I, I think even if, if, that, if these accusations had never happened in this uh, kind of um, – really a, 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 a miscarriage of justice had never happened to him. Uh, he still would have had a negative uh, reputation uh, among many Australians and um, certainly among the media types uh, in Australia. Why was that? Why why is he a figure that, uh, that drew that kind of um, negativity? He was a staunch defender of the truth. Um, and held and prized that above uh, above pretty much everything. Um, there's a great story about when he got appointed as the rector of the seminary in Melbourne while he was still a priest and came in and it was, you know, the, the seminaries coming out of the 70s and 80s and all of that period and he insisted on daily mass and holy hour for the seminarians and the staff protested and said that if he insisted on daily mass and holy hour, then they would resign. And so he promptly accepted their resignations and then began the reform of the seminary that he wanted to do uh, with a good head start. He was, he was like that. There was no, um, there was no backing down from the truth or, or from what was right. And so through all of those years, he defended marriage and sexual morality um, through the influx of things like IVF and embryonic stem cell research and, and everything like that. He was always in out in front, speaking the truth, um, really without compromise, and that made him uh, disliked not only in, I guess, secular Australia but also oftentimes within the church. Uh, when he came to Sydney as Archbishop in 2003, you know, in came the protesters to the masses wearing their rainbow sashes uh, up to receive Holy Communion just so that he would have to deny them. Um, and so he, there were always, protests always followed his eminence in that way, but only because he was a speaker of the truth and, and a great defender of the faith. Well, I mean, I, I, I guess there's the this. Yeah, I, I, I completely accept your word on that, uh, Monica, but um, there are people who uh, speak the truth and then there are, are people who kind of... Um, I mean, what you're describing, I suppose, is a, a man who 
by all appearances from those who knew him personally, like yourself, is actually quite a loving, affectionate, kind, considerate person. And the caricature is exactly the opposite of that. It seems um, th- to, to there's a kind of personal animus towards him uh, that won't even allow the the you know the basic decency of saying, oh, he, well, he's a good guy, but I disagree with him. Yeah, absolutely. And look, he had a a personal style, particularly when speaking with the media and speaking with the public, that was very, I guess, Aussie blunt. Um, <laughs> there was the, <laughs> there, there were at times there were no airs and graces. Uh, he would tell you what he thought, um, and and uh, yeah, so often quite bluntly. Um, and I can say I've been on the, I was on the receiving end of that as well. Um, and so if that's all you saw have all, all you saw of him, then there was that impression. Um, oh, okay. I, I, a colleague of mine would say every time I heard someone criticise the cardinal, my first question would be, "Have you ever met him?" Um, so he did have quite uh, quite rough edges, I guess, when presenting to the media. Um, but it was just his no nonsense, straight down the line attitude. Uh, I think that that gave him that persona. But certainly, um, those who got to spend any time at all with him uh, would say quite the opposite. It, it was quite quite confusing, but also. Um, People can be irrational over things like this, and it wouldn't matter yeah. uh, what he did. Uh, I've I've seen people come in the media uh, in recent days and and retell stories like he wouldn't look me in the eye uh, when when X or Y occurred, and I thought I was there at the time and I saw how tender he was to you in that moment. Um, so sometimes you just get irrationality uh, sure. from people who have been who you know quite quite rightly, have been harmed by the church and are looking for someone to blame. Um, when when things go wrong in corporations, in banks and, and other things like that, the CEO always resigns or steps down or something like that. There's always a head that goes uh, when there's crisis or criminal behaviour in other organisations. With the abuse crisis, at least in Australia, that that didn't happen because by the time the big public reckoning happened, those most responsible had either retired or, or passed on. But I think the public was looking for a, a head, someone on who someone who would accept responsibility and say, okay, you know, that's on me, I'm going. And the Catholic Church in Australia didn't have that symbolic resignation. Um, and so part of it, I think, part of the anger and the animus towards the cardinal was that he was seen as the head of the church uh, and upon him uh, all of that fell. Yeah. I I remember when uh, we were in Australia and uh, we had the great pleasure of meeting you there and I I, I was asking a priest about it uh, there uh, who I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bother to name. It was, it was a private conversation, but I just said, you know, why do people believe that the cardinal is guilty of these things. It just doesn't seem plausible. And uh, he said, you know, even if they don't believe it, they believe as the head of the Catholic Church in Australia, he's guilty of a lot of other things. So there's a kind of attitude of, well, yeah, maybe this isn't it, but he should be in jail because, uh, you know, who's ever the head of these Catholics in Australia should be in jail. 
That's exactly right. And I think there was also, um, unjustly to victims as well, there was this idea of if Cardinal Pell goes to prison or or if he's punished in, in some other way, then that will contribute to your healing. And so there was sort of this idea of for the sake of victims, someone must be punished. Um, and so I think there was a real desire to see that happen. I mean, even now we had the Premier of Victoria in speaking about the funeral uh, completely say, no, there will, would be no state funeral, no public memorial for the Cardinal because that would be insensitive to victims. Even in death, even after being unanimously acquitted by the highest court in, in the country, still there's this idea of um, if any honour is bestowed upon the Cardinal, then victims would somehow suffer. Uh, I think that's not only unjust to the Cardinal, but but ultimately unjust to victims because I don't think punishing the Cardinal would contribute at all to their healing. No, uh, that's one of those, right. It's one of those um, kind of, uh, illusions that is always out there in front of us, but it, it, it never uh, pays off in the way that we hope or, or wish that it would pay off. Uh, you know, vengeance, it just doesn't do what it claims it's going to do. But as with many temptations, uh, or all the temptations, but uh, Monica, I want to ask you about him as a defender of the faith, because you've used that term a great deal. And this is one of the things that, as you know, we try to do here at Catholic Answers is explain and defend the faith. So if you said uh, to people like us or people around the world who admired uh, Cardinal Pell or who just want to be good defenders of the faith, what are the lessons we can take away from him about how you uh, engage with the world? He never backed down. Uh, he was always there, but do so in a way that actually defends uh, the Catholic faith. Absolutely. Well, I think the first thing is that he was always an advocate for the voice of the church in the public square. Uh, I remember him being challenged at a, at a university about why he should have a say. He you know, quite, quite blisteringly said, well, I'm a citizen just like you are, and my voice just counts just as much as yours does. And so you can't tell me I can't have a voice in this. Uh, so insistent that the church should always have a voice in public and that we shouldn't be ashamed or apologetic for that. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing I think is there wasn't a topic really that he wouldn't touch, whether it was everything from uh, climate change was one of his favourites uh, to bioethical issues, to what was happening in the church. I mean, we've seen in recent days some of the commentary uh, that, that he wrote on the Synod on Synodality, this idea that you are, you can have a voice on every topic and not be pigeonholed um, into, into a certain faith. And, and I think the other lesson, uh, and one that I'll hold particularly dear, is um, he would always say that to fight and lose is one thing, but to never put up a fight is a disgrace. So even if you know the culture is against you, the laws are against you, um, that's no excuse not to fight. You you keep standing up. You keep proclaiming the truth in and out of season. Uh, and if they knock you down, you get back up again and and keep fighting. Uh, he'd use a lot of boxing metaphors um, to, to drive home his point, but that that was that was him. Just insist on your space. It doesn't matter if you lose, just as long as you fight. Uh, and you can talk about whatever you want to because there's there's no area of life where 
the church and the voice of faith can't influence. Well, he, he, um, he, he certainly, I mean, he had every reason to believe that he had uh, many years still ahead of him. He was having his hip replaced, uh, which was the, the, the event that, uh, that led to his uh, passing, uh, at least apparently. So, uh, it, it does seem like uh, that fighting spirit, he was in the last two things that he published, uh, both of which I read, one of which was it published uh, somewhat anon- well, was anonymously and also seems to have maybe included the thoughts of some other cardinals. He spoke for a, a group maybe uh, publishing under the name uh, Demos. And then uh, something that just got published maybe, the, I think, maybe the day after he died, which was he was preparing for. These things were quite uh, bracing, shall I say. Have you read them? And what do you make of his kind of final uh, – he was getting ready uh, to, to fight again? Absolutely. Look, I, I'm not sure what to make of the Demos article. And, um, and certainly those of us who discuss it, say, I've never known the Cardinal to write anything under a pseudonym. Um, so I'd be keen okay. to explore a little bit more about about whether or not he had a hand in that and how much. But certainly the article criticising the Synod on Synodality uh, and the process around that, uh, he he was 81, um, out of voting range for the, for the, for the College of Cardinals, didn't get a, didn't get, a spot at Australia's plenary council, nor um, would he have been involved directly in the synod on synodality. But he was still he still wanted to influence um, in any way that he could, I guess. And it, reading it, it was just him. This idea of this is madness. Some of what is going on is absolute madness, and I'm going to call it out. Yeah. Uh, I I think at his age, he probably thought I have nothing to lose. But at the same time. I think even if this was 20 years ago, he would have done the same thing. I think that was his style, that you that you speak the truth into madness, into chaos, um, even even if uh, you get you get punished for it. Um, that his Episcopal motto was "Be not afraid," and I can see that in so many aspects of his life, but particularly in the way that he um, the way that he spoke. Uh, the truth in, in certain circumstances. And I have to say, this was born out of such a deep love for the church and and for what the church can be and what it can contribute to the world and to society and everything like that. And I think that um, despite sort of the quite um, brusque nature of that piece, I think it really did come from a heart that just was sad for it, at seeing some of this happen um, and wanting the church to to be better, uh, I, I wouldn't put him at all in a in an anti-church or or an anti-pope camp or anything like that. I think that um, this was just coming out of sort of a heart that just wanted better for the church. Right. It, it didn't. I I didn't read it as anti uh, Pope Francis, but I read it as very critical of Pope uh, Francis and of, of those who are kind of administering the church. Uh, in uh, you know, I don't know if you call it an administration of of a pope or whatever it is, but uh, it it was very critical. But there's nothing wrong with being critical. I mean, we're we're allowed to be uh, critical and. Uh, he actually served uh, Pope Francis it, w- by all appearances quite ably and was willing to serve and be helpful. But it, it, to me, it came across as, yep, okay, uh, but 
uh, we've reached a line here where this is, uh, it's kind of uh, spinning out of control and somebody needs to say, rein it back in. Absolutely. And it, that idea of, well, if no one else is going to say it, I'm going to put my, <laughs> I'm going to put my voice in there and I'll, and I'll say it and I'll take the criticism or whatever comes with that. He didn't know that he was going to pass when, when he penned that article and so was obviously willing to take on whatever uh, whatever the outcomes were of that. But that same, um, you said that he, he served Pope Francis and I think all of the work he, do, he did in the, the Vatican financials and, it, and clearing a lot of that mess up, it was that same brash, no-nonsense attitude that assisted the church, the, the Holy Father, but the church more broadly, in clearing up some of that. So he didn't have different attitudes to finances that he did for faith, that, that he did for pu- public morals or anything like that. He, it was just the one the, the, the one uh, big baseball bat that he took, or a cricket bat, dare I say, um, to, to everything that he got his teeth into. Well, and, 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 and but what's notable too is that he didn't uh, it, at any point fall into the, the nuttiness of some of the anti-Francis stuff of, you know, maybe trying to prove that Francis is not really the Pope or that there's some, uh, you know, the, all the various things that that actually where it would be, it's much bolder in a certain sense to just say, this Pope is a terrible Pope, if that's what you believe, rather than trying to find all these ways out of the problem of a, a Pope that you disagree with. He didn't, he, he didn't do the nutty thing. He didn't go over that far. No, of course, because I think part of the, if you want to call it the nutty thing, is trying to find a reason where you can justify to yourself um, a lack of fidelity to the Holy Father. So if you can prove that he wasn't really the Pope or, or some, there was oh, some yeah. conspiracy or something like that, but th- that, that wasn't the cardinal. No, you know, we're a family. I believe that you're the Holy Father, but let's have an argument like the family does. Uh, without actually trying to then find a reason of like, okay, no, this is why I don't have to listen, why I can just discount your voice. Um, but that that was the cardinal, right? He he didn't he wasn't the type of person that would cancel somebody's voice. He wanted to debate. Um, I think the whole idea of cancel culture and silencing opposition made him very sad. Uh, so the idea of no. If there's something worthy of debate and discussion, then let's do it openly. Um, I think that was that was his style. You know, I'm, I'm struck as you say that by what you said earlier about the the two kind of points you said to take from him as as a, as an example of apologetics. Just feeling like you you and I don't know if so feeling so much, but just boldly acting on the idea that. My voice is as important as anybody else's, and if my voice happens to be a Catholic voice, that doesn't mean it gets to be silenced uh, by somebody else. I, again, I, I, that boldness to me just seems so much um, more of a depth and courage than the just the angry reaction, the sullen uh, reaction. It's not sullen at all. It's it almost has a kind of battle joy about it. Yes, yeah. Oh, he was a joyful fighter, I would think. Um, always with a with a joke or a smirk or something like that I think and you have to enjoy the battle right I mean we're in we're in the middle of uh I don't know a decades-long culture war and so if you don't find joy and peace in it then 
going it, it's going to be a remarkably um, horrible life. So I think yeah, definitely there was some joy in in the battle um, that I saw in him, and that he passed on to a generation of clergy and religious and and lay faithful after him. I always say there's a there's a generation George now coming through uh, of all of us, hopefully sort of warriors in his image um, in one sense. Isn't that extraordinary? Because you started off with that, uh, you know, the, your kind of reflection on your first uh, meeting with him where where he called on young women to be defenders of the church. And then people like him, you know, you think of the the Pope John Paul generation of uh, priests you, and 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 you think of the all the people, lay and and clerical, who kind of got their intellectual chops from uh, Pope Benedict. And Pe- Cardinal Pell is even far beyond Australia has had that uh, effect on people. But when I when I think about him speaking to you and and saying, you know, we, we need you, young women, uh, to get in the fight, it doesn't. Again, it, it it seems to speak against the stereotype of the old stodgy. Catholic traditionalist who's afraid of change. There's no fear in that. It, it doesn't seem to have any fear of change. Change is fine. You know, the 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 church bringing up lay voices and the voices of both men and women. It, it, he seemed very comfortable with that. Of course, and, and encouraged it. Uh, the he put a campus of the University of Notre Dame in Sydney, so that theological training um, would be accessible to a wider range of, of laity who had absolutely no fear of educated lay voices. Actually, that was that was a great delight for him, uh, the encouragement of, of education. So not only do you raise your voice in public, and but make sure you have a good education behind you when you're doing that so that when you're speaking, you know what you're talking about. So he was all for the lay faithful being educated in theology in whatever their professional fields were and being given the platform uh, to speak. And, look, I, you know, I'm certainly a product of that. I wouldn't be here today. Uh, I definitely wouldn't be speaking on Catholic Answers uh, if not for him encouraging and advancing me at, at every point that he could. Uh, it's magnificent to think about, Monica, because you, you won't say it, but we say it all the time. You're one of the the great voices uh, defending the church. We we love every time we get to turn to you and and get your take because it's always such a, a an interesting, honest, uh, but also deeply Catholic take. And and uh, you, you think now about you know when I over here in the United States think about you uh, and Cardinal Pell, I think well. Uh, you know, a man like him who's always interesting and always honest, but always deeply Catholic, um, the fruits of his life as a priest, uh, as a teacher, uh, as an encourager of others uh, goes on and on. We've kept you longer than I, I said I would uh, keep you. I'm very, very grateful because you really are. Um, I mean, you know, you're just one of our favorite uh, people, Monica. And I know this is a, a difficult time for those of you who knew him personally and, and for the church in Australia. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with? about uh, Cardinal Pell before you go, or uh, uh, have, have you had enough of us? Um, I, I'll just repeat something that Archbishop Fisher said uh, the, the day that the Cardinal passed. He said, um, the Cardinal was against eulogies, uh, didn't want them, didn't want to be canonised at his funeral and just would always say, make sure you, you ask people to pray for me. Uh, so in that spirit, I'll uh, 
I know that probably this conversation, I think I've I've canonized the man, but uh, <laughs> to finish off, I, I would, on his behalf, ask for everyone's prayers for his his repose. Praise God, and we will uh, pray for that. And you can assure you, maybe you can ask a little bit, but you also said use the term rough edges a couple of times. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you balance it out, uh, Monica. Uh, uh, Monica Dumit um, from Sydney, Australia. I think you're going to come here to the United States at some point. I'll tell anybody if you want just a great uh, Catholic speaker and just to meet a wonderful Catholic person, see if you can get Monica to come by uh, wherever your Catholic group is. Um, Monica, thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thank you so much. Such a joy to talk. Thanks to everybody who joins us here on Catholic Answers Focus. I know it's a little bit different uh, to take the time, but Cardinal Pell is such a special person. Uh, we just thought it was really appropriate to do. And, and also, we'll take any excuse to talk to Monica Dumit. And uh, so I just want to say thanks for listening. If you want to send us an email, you can always reach us. Focus at Catholic.com is our email address. Focus at Catholic.com. Maybe you got an idea for a future episode. If so, let us know about it. Uh, some of our best episodes have come from that. Also, wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you'd give us a nice review, maybe you hit that five-star button or whatever, however many stars they got wherever you are, that helps to grow the podcast. And we'll see you next time, God willing, right here on Catholic Answers Focus. Mm-hmm.